following Jesus is a series of baby steps, isn't it? We sometimes hear people say, if Jesus is not Lord of all, He's not Lord at all. But the truth of the matter is, I think we're all on a uh, continuum there. We're, on a, uh, we're somewhere on, on, a, on a scale where we are letting Jesus be Lord over certain areas of our lives and we're learning how to let Him be Lord over more areas of our lives as we grow in Him, right? And so we don't accept Christ and then immediately become mature saints. In fact, Scripture talks about babes in Christ. He talks about some of the saints not uh, being ready for the solid meat of the Word, but to, to, they're still on milk and not solid food. And so this is one reason why we need other people to speak into our lives about how to follow Jesus. Each of us needs someone to help us follow Jesus more closely. And this is what we call discipleship. We all need someone to help us to learn to follow Jesus more effectively. There's many terms being thrown around today. There's life coaching, counseling, mentoring, and many others. And and there's nuances to each of these. But ultimately, they're all essentially the same thing. They're all a form of discipleship. To disciple someone means that we come alongside someone and we help them make the next right decision to better experience God's grace. We help them take baby steps. When you're helping someone to grow in the Lord, you don't necessarily talk to them about the really deep things of God. You don't talk to them about uh, some issues that, that you reserve for when they're more mature in the Lord, but you talk about the basics. You help them to take that next step, and then the next step, and then the next step after that. This is illustrated very well in Luke chapter 5, as Jesus calls Simon Peter into uh, a relationship with him as his disciple. Let's read in uh, Luke 5, we'll start reading with verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around Him and listening to the Word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. By the way, this is if you're wondering why he does this, this is actually a really cool thing that by getting out on the water and having the lake behind him and the land in front of him, the water acted as a magnifier to his voice. It was essentially a natural uh, sound system. And so it amplified his voice. So just a, a cool thought. So the next time you're teaching multitudes and you don't have a sound system, get out on a boat and you'll, it'll work out really well. The next verse, he says, When he had finished speaking... He said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, 
Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore and left everything and followed him. As we conclude our shareable series this morning, we're going to narrow our focus upon the individual. We've explored that God's mission is all about the new creation. God's mission is about the transformation of our lives. Last week, we looked at going first in the cause to which God calls you. And today, I want to challenge you to share something that nobody else in the world can share. And that is yourself. Share your own experiences with God. Share your wisdom that you've gleaned along the way. And share from your own journey to help someone else in theirs. Many of us want to disciple others, and we've talked a lot about this in the last few months. We've talked about this in some of our connect groups, in fact. The thing is, we want to disciple someone, and yet we don't know how. And understand this, if you are a follower of Christ today, maybe you just accepted the, accepted the Lord in the last year, or maybe you've been walking with Christ for 50 years or more. Wherever you are on that spectrum, you have something to contribute to the lives of those around you. God has implanted something in you and invested something in you that is so valuable that He wants you to share with others. And understand this, many times when we talk about discipleship, we talk about sharing the Lord, we look at it as a, an obligation or a responsibility, like it's some weight that we have to carry in order to be right with God. And I want to just for a moment erase that whole concept. It's not an issue of, well, you mean i got to do this if I want to keep following Christ? You mean it's another, it's another responsibility right alongside tithing and attending church and, and all this other stuff and praying and reading my Bible? It's one of those things I have to do? Just lay that aside for just a moment. That's not what we're talking about. What I'm talking about is the treasure that God has placed inside of you. Last year I dealt with kidney cancer, and I want to tell you something. If God had given you the cure to cancer... If, if you had understood how, what it, how we can prevent cancer, or if you have cancer, just make it go away by all natural means, I would expect you to have shared that with me, right? I would have considered it an injustice if you held that information to yourself. Now understand this, you have something far more valuable and precious inside of you than the cure to cancer. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you as a follower of Christ. And you have an encounter with God, an experience with God that others desperately need. Not just for their physical life, as, as in the cure to cancer it would save a physical life, but you have something that can change the eternity of someone around you. And so we, we don't know how to do that. We want to share what God's given us. We want to disciple others, and yet we don't know how. Well, I believe it's actually a lot like parenting. I mean, parenting really is basically discipleship, isn't it? I have one grown daughter, and I have another teen daughter sitting right here on the front row. 
And I can tell you one thing, I still don't know how to be a good parent. How many of you parents can relate to this? I'm still trying to figure this thing out, and maybe I'll have it figured out by the time we have grandkids so that I can spoil them and treat them right and then send them home. So <clears throat> I'm still trying to figure it out, but I think that parenting has something to do with sharing what I know as the need arises in the lives of my daughters. I think it has something to do with sharing my own experience about this thing called life to help them succeed in their own lives. Well, that, I believe, is exactly how we disciple others in Christ. Impacting others involves leading them to take a series of baby steps in following Christ. Impacting others involves leading them in a series of baby steps in following Christ. So how do we do that? I'm going to give you three simple thoughts from this passage that we read. Number one is this. See the value in each person. This is the first thing we have to do. Listen, the people God has called you to influence are not an obligation to you. They are an opportunity. And there is value in every single person you meet. Every single person has value before God. Verse 10, this is sort of the, the, the culmination of this passage where Jesus is having this meeting, this, this, this interaction with Simon Peter. It says, Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. This was the invitation that he gave Peter. So Jesus saw potential in Simon Peter that no one else can see. Understand this, as a fisherman, Simon was low on the totem pole, okay? This is blue-collar, hard work. This is not where educated people spent their time. This is not where the higher-ups in society spent their time. He was probably a fisherman because he didn't qualify to go on to, to higher education in the Jewish schools of that day. And his family probably passed the business down one from another. And he probably grew up with this idea is you're going to be a fisherman and that's all you're ever going to be. And so you might as well accept that. And so I would think that most everybody, when they walked by the fishermen out here, would, would just sort of uh, keep going on their own way because, you know, they were sort of just the grunt workers of that day. And so most people looking at Simon Peter would not have thought, you know, this is someone who could lead a movement that will change the world. But Jesus saw something in him. Jesus saw something in Simon that nobody else could see. Aren't you thankful today that God saw something in you? Aren't you thankful today that God looked at you and said, this person is worth the life of my son. That is how much God values you. That he, For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son. In recent weeks, you've heard me talk a little bit about George Mueller, who was uh, uh, a minister that lived in the, throughout the 1800s and planted the, or established these orphanages that just revolutionized uh, the nation of England. You know, what happened was he wasn't planning, he didn't set out to start an orphanage. He didn't plan to start a movement. He, 
was, he felt he was called to ministry and he began preaching and he established this, this school for discipling people, uh, the, 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 scriptural, uh, the school of scriptural knowledge. And, and, and they were moving forward with this and it was expanding and it was growing. But in one, one event that they had, he came across some, some orphans out on the streets. And, and you have to understand that in this time period in England, and most of the world for that matter, there weren't a lot of orphanages. There was no government programs to take care of orphans or, or homeless people or anything like that. And so, so these kids, these, these orphans were just basically abandoned. They were just you know, going through garbage and doing whatever they could just to survive from one day to the next. And you can only imagine the exploitation that probably went on with these children. And so one day while he is out, uh, working with this school that he started, he comes across these orphans and it just grips his heart and he can't, he can't shake it. He doesn't do anything about it right away. But later on, he comes, keeps coming back to this over and over again. And he could not escape the burden that God had placed on his heart about these orphans. The rest of the world had forgotten them. Nobody cared about them. But finally, he reached the point, he said, I've got to do something about this. Now, now, watch this from our series. We've talked about the mission. We've talked about the cause. We've talked about going first. And now we're talking about the value of the person. Well, the Bible tells us in James chapter 1 that true religion before God is to care for widows and orphans and keep oneself unspotted from the world. So here are the orphans. This is part of God's mission. We have the mission right here. We have the cause. That's caring for orphans, the orphanages that he established. So he steps up to take care of the cause and he goes first. When nobody else is doing anything, he goes first to meet the needs of these orphans. And why does he do it? It's because even though the rest of the world has forgotten them, the rest of the world just ignores them and pretends they're not there, he looked at those homeless, parentless children and said they had value. There are so many parallels to how God looks at us. He looks at us when the rest of the world would just cast us aside and he says that we have value. If you want to make a difference in someone's life, the first thing you must do is recognize the value that is in them. Every person matters to God. Every person. We must look beyond the label, beyond the label of fisherman or beyond the label of orphan or whatever, and we must recognize the imago Dei, the image of God in which the, each person has been created. So let me ask you something, and, and I'm talking to myself here. This is a good gut check. When you look at somebody, do you see the person first, or do you see the label first? When you look at somebody, do you see white, black, Hispanic, Asian? Or do you see someone that's made in God's image? Do you see homeless person, orphan, rich, poor? Or do you see someone for whom Christ died? Do you look at someone and think conservative or liberal? Or do you recognize this is somebody that Jesus wants to have a relationship with? You see, if we look at the label first, we're missing everything that God wants to do in that person's life. And we're missing the heart of God on the issue. We don't need to look at the labels and classify. I mean, we do this all the time. You know, 
we, we, we talk about, well, I met this black man this day, the other day. Okay, well, you know, why don't we say, well, I met this white guy, right? You know, I'm married to a white woman, by the way, you know. I got married. Yeah, yeah, she's white. Yeah. Well, we don't do that. Why? Why, why don't we, but if, it's, if, they're, if they're Hispanic or if they're Asian or if they're black, we, we always put that label on there first, right? And we do it without even realizing it. God sees the heart, not the outward appearance. And I know this upsets many of us, but God loves liberals as much as he loves conservatives. <laughs> That's true. Our identification is not in our political affinity. It's in the blood of Jesus Christ. So we have to see the value in each person. Understand that if we want to influence somebody, if we want to make an impact in their lives, we first must value them because we can only influence through relationships. And we can only build relationships through mutual respect and value. And so, that's where it begins. We want to correct people sometimes, but we cannot correct beyond the level of our relationship. And so, this is what Jesus does with Peter. He, he, he initiates this relationship. He sees value in Simon Peter when everybody else was just ignoring him. And then the next thing we must do, we see the value in each person, and then, then we must, as we're discipling them and influencing them and impacting them, we must help each person take the next step. Help them take the next step. In other words, they've got to take step number one before they take step number ten. We have to meet people where they are to help them take that next step. Look at verse 4 again, and we're going to read down to verse 7. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Wait right there for just a second. So, so watch this. Simon Peter and his crew have been out all night. In this culture, they fished at night, not in the daytime. They didn't have a rod and reel. They had nets. And they would go out at night and throw out the nets and gather up the fish. And they had been out all night, and they hadn't caught a single fish. Now, these guys are professional fishermen. So this is their livelihood. They're tired. They're smelly. They're frustrated. They're worried because now they don't have any fish to take to market. And so this is not a good morning for Simon Peter. And so after Jesus is teaching, he's given them the word of God. And then he turns to Simon and he says, Now, I want you to go back out and, to, and put it, go out into the deep water and put out the nets again. Here's what we have to understand. This made no sense whatsoever. First of all, you don't fish in the daytime in that setting. You fish at night. They've already been out all night, haven't caught anything. And just imagine, okay, granted I'm a nerd, okay? I, I'm not big on hunting and fishing. Uh, you know, I, I get squeamish trying to gut the fish. I know I'm a sissy, but I'm, that's just me. But I can, I can work tech support and get you back on the internet, so nah, 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 you still need me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, so granted, but just imagine if I, if I were to tell, and I, I, don't, I don't know who's, all big into hunting or anything here, but imagine if I, if I were to go and try to tell you exactly what you need to do to catch that big buck or land that big fish, 
You know, you would just kind of laugh at me and say, that's all right, Pastor, don't quit your day job, you know. Because, I mean, it's kind of humorous, right? My, my grandfather and my uncle, they were big hunters, and, and, I, and I tried to get into it, and I just couldn't. I thought I had to do that to be a real man and discovered I didn't, and thankfully because I wasn't good at it. But, but you know, I, I, uh, I could just imagine trying to tell my grandfather how to kill a deer. He would roll his eyes at me. He would, he, he would not have taken me very seriously. So imagine, here is, in the eyes of Simon Peter, a Jewish rabbi. He doesn't know who Jesus is. He just knows he's a teacher. He's a rabbi. Now there's this Jewish rabbi who, who's come out here and given this nice, eloquent sermon, and he wants to tell the professional fishermen how to go and catch fish. And telling him how to do it all wrong, by the way. Right? You don't go out in the daytime. You know, everything he tells them makes no sense whatsoever. And so I wonder about Peter's response. You know, Peter says, you know, we've been out all night. We haven't caught anything. But if you say so, I'm wondering, is he saying that with respect? Is he saying it because you tell me, Lord, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do whatever you say. I am going to humble myself and be submissive. I wonder if it was that or was it, look, we've done this all night. Nothing's happened. But if you say so, we'll do it. Is he humoring him? Is he looking to just embarrass him? Knowing Peter's temperament, I tend to think it was the latter one. I tend to think Peter is like rolling his eyes and, come on, boys, we're going back out into the water. But it was a setup. What Jesus did here, he didn't tell, he didn't tell Simon Peter, Peter, I, I want to show you a miracle because I want to prepare you for something. There's coming a day, Peter, where you are going to preach and there's going to be 3,000 people who become my followers and because of your sermon. Simon, you are going to write part of the Word of God for a new generation. Peter, they're going to be talking about you 2,000 years from now in a land in, out in the West that you haven't even heard of yet, Woodstock, Alabama. Jesus didn't say any of that. All Jesus said to him was, Go back out in the water, let down your nets. What was he doing? He was helping Peter take the next step, the baby step. Something that didn't quite make sense but was within his capability, and he was setting him up to have a new kind of encounter with God. Watch this. Watch what happens. The next verse. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And so this request that Jesus made that made absolutely no sense, that probably insulted Peter's sensibilities, ended up with this miraculous catch of fish, so much to the point that Peter came and fell at Jesus' feet and says, I am not worthy to be in your presence. What happened? Peter took a baby step and had an encounter with God like he had never had before, and it changed his perception of who he was and who God was. And that's how we disciple people. We help them take that very next step. 
Consider what was hanging in the balance in Jesus' request. Think of what wouldn't have happened if Peter had not taken that step. We wouldn't have part of the New Testament. We'd be missing some great stories about how God interacted through him. I mean, the life of Peter changed the world. And all of that hinged on one request to go fishing. Think of what hangs in the balance with every decision we make. Think of what could be hanging in the balance when we wrestle with, should I say something to this person? Should I try to develop a relationship with this person? Should I try to help this person follow Christ better? We don't even know how much we could be changing the world. Every conversation we have could be world-changing. Talking about George Mueller, I think I've shared this with you that everything that he felt called by God to do was flavored by this commitment that he had made. He felt like early on that God had called him to never ask for money, that he would not take a salary from the church he was pastoring at the time. Don't get any ideas, board members. <laughs> uh, he wouldn't take a salary. For every project he took on, he would never ask for money. He would never even tell anybody other than a close circle about the needs. And so when he began to, to move forward to establish an orphanage, he never asked for money for it, but money started coming in. And, and that's the way he operated the ministry. In fact, I've, I've told you this story before, but there's this amazing incident that happened one morning in the first orphanage he built. By this point, he had 300 children in the orphanage. And they all sat down for breakfast. He walked in and they had a ceremony or, or like a practice they did where all the kids would stand behind their chairs until Brother Mueller came in and then they would say grace and they would all sit down in the chairs together in unison. So he walked in, they said grace, they sat down, but there was a problem. They had no food, they had nothing to drink, and they had no money. And somebody had asked Brother Mueller before they went in, what are we going to do? And he said, we're going to trust God. So they thanked God in the prayer for the food he was going to provide. They sat down and they waited. And in a few minutes there came a knock at the door. A baker was there. And he said, Brother Mueller, I don't know how to explain this. I woke up in the middle of the night and I just felt like you and your children needed some bread. So I got up at 2 o'clock this morning and started breaking, baking bread. And I brought you this basket of bread. He handed that to Brother Buell and he said, I've got another basket out in the truck. I'll be right back. And he brought enough bread for those children to have bread for breakfast and for lunch. They, just as they finished passing out all of the bread and all the kids were settling down, there came another knock at the door. And it was the milkman back in those days. As you know, they had to deliver milk to the homes. You couldn't just go to the grocery store and get it. And so the milkman 
It was knocking at the door. He said, Brother Mueller, he said, my truck has broke down. I've got to, I've got to re- replace this wheel on it, and I've got too much weight on my truck, but all this milk is going to ruin. Do you have any use whatsoever for these, uh, for these barrels of milk? Brother Mueller was like, well, I think we can take that off your hands for you. That's my interpretation. I don't know if he really said that or not. He was British, so he probably said, by Jove, yes, sir, we could. Yeah, I don't know. But... Uh, so, so these children, these children had milk and they had bread all because they trusted God for it that morning. God showed up at the last possible minute. Can you imagine the impact that would have had on those 300 children? What he was doing was he was simply walking out what he was trying to teach those children to live. These 300 kids saw Brother Mueller living what he preached. They saw him trusting God. And they learned more by that example than by hours and hours of teaching. They simply saw what God did when George Mueller trusted God. So, can I tell you, parents, your children need to see you trusting God. They need to see you believing God when all circumstances seem to be going against you. They need to see you standing in faith no matter what's happening. And if you are, in, if you are discipling somebody, if you are leading someone, the way you live says so much more than the things you say. You see, impacting others is, is more than teaching theology. It's, let me throw a couple big words at you. There's orthodoxy, which is the right things to believe, and then there's orthopraxy, the right things to do. It's believing and behaving, okay? And so, so when you are leading somebody else in their, walk, in their relationship with God, it's not just having the right orthodoxy, it's having the right orthopraxy. It's not just believing the right things, it's also behaving the right way. For example... If you want to teach somebody to live out their theology, live out what they believe. As a new believer, one of the things that we want to teach people is tithing. Not because we're hungry for money. I don't have a private jet. It's not because we need the money. But it's because learning to tithe is a way of growing in your walk with God. It's a, matter, it's a way of trusting God to see His provision in our lives. It's a covenant everyone makes with God. So I can preach till I'm blue in the face on tithing. But if I really want to impact somebody, it's not just giving them the theological foundation for it. It's encouraging them, come on, take this step. Try it for a month. Try it for three months. See what God does. And just helping them take that next little baby step. And they encounter God in a different way in their finances and their provision. And then it helps them to get ready to take the next step and the next step and the next step. We sometimes think that people know everything that we know. And they don't. This is something I've had to remind myself over and over again is I assume that people know things that they don't. Robin and I were at, at an event called the Emmaus Walk. Some of you are familiar with that. There's similar programs called Trace Diaz and some other things. And, 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 and this, this event, this three-day event, they talked about all the basics. They spent a lot of time talking about grace and talking about the fact that Jesus is the Son of God and all these different things. 
And quite honestly, I was bored through a lot of it. It's like, you know, I know this. Um, I've known this for a while. And, you know, and, and yet there was this one guy sitting beside me. And at one point in the weekend, he, he broke down and cried. He said, this is the greatest weekend of my life. And I'm thinking, dude, you need to get out more, you know. But I was bored because, I mean, this is what I live, you know. This is what I do. I teach this stuff. But here was this guy. He had never heard grace taught that way. Never. And I said something to a friend of mine who was actually helping to order the event. And, and he said, you have to keep in mind that some of these people, even if they're in church, they don't really hear the gospel being preached. And he told me about a friend of his that grew up in a, in a certain denomination. And, and he said, one Easter Sunday, the pastor spent the entire sermon talking about the Three Stooges. And I reminded myself in that moment, I said to myself in that moment, I will never assume that people know what I know. And neither should you. We think everybody knows that Jesus gave His life to save them. After all, we live in America. We live in the Bible Belt, for crying out loud. There's people right here in Woodstock, and I've talked to some of them, that don't have a clue about what it means to belong to Jesus. We cannot assume that people know. And so what is our responsibility? It's to help them take the next step. Baby steps to the altar. Right? It's more than convincing someone. It's encouraging them to take that step. Number three. Invest in the one to see returns in the many. Invest in the one to see returns in the many. Now think about this for just a moment. Does it seem strange to you that the Messiah of the world would spend time on a boat trip, a fishing trip, with a loudmouth fisherman? That's, it's a little strange when you look at it just from a natural perspective. Why would he spend time with the one rather than seek the crowd? It seems like a much better use of his time to continue speaking to the crowd, right? You, I mean, you multiply your efforts that way. And yet Jesus, after addressing the crowd, turns his back on the crowd to address the one. That's, it's, it's interesting how we sometimes think that numbers matter the way we do. Sometimes we have to focus on the one in order to reach the many. See... When we're, looking at, when we're looking at Simon Peter's life, we're looking with 2,000 years of hindsight. We know what Simon Peter accomplished. We know all the stuff that went on with his life and how God used him. But to the casual observer in that day, it must have seemed like a waste of time. Jesus, why are you spending time with that smelly fisherman? Don't you know how he lives? I wonder how many of us would have actually seen something in Simon Peter worth cultivating. You see, by investing in the one, Jesus reached thousands, millions. We wouldn't have part of the New Testament without Simon Peter. And so when we invest in the one, God reproduces our efforts. God can take it and multiply it. Talking about George Mueller again. Mueller's life is fascinating. He operated orphanages for 63 years. 
They opened the one that I told you about. They opened a few more there on the same street by renting houses. They finally bought some property up on the top of a, of a, a little mountain area and over the next several years built five huge, huge orphanages. By the time he died, they were able to house something like 3,000 orphans at a time. And over his lifetime, he cared for at least 10,000 orphans. He never asked for money, not once. But over his lifetime, approximately 1.5 million British pounds passed through his hands for the ministry. Now this is British pounds in the year 1890, okay? That is the equivalent of more than $220 million today. And at his death, he had only 160 pounds to his name. We cannot imagine the impact that this man made. This building you see on the screen is uh, orphanage number five. It still stands today. In fact, all the orphanages are still standing today. One of my goals after studying his life is to go and visit them in person. And so now, 120 years after Mueller's death, the Mueller Foundation continues to care not only for orphans, but for the elderly as well. And so we have over a century of people's lives being changed because one man saw value in a few homeless orphans that everyone else ignored. We cannot overestimate the impact of reaching one person. Mother Teresa said this, I alone cannot change the world, but I can cast a stone across the waters to create many ripples. Many of us say, God, use me, and we want God to do something great through us. And we think that sometimes that involves a big platform but God may just need you to invest your life in the one. If you invest in the one, you can reach the multitudes. So as our worship team comes, reach the one and let God determine how far the one will go. Do you want to do that? Do you want to help change the life of someone in your life do you want to help disciple someone? And maybe you don't feel like you know how. But maybe it starts the same way that Jesus initiated this relationship with Simon Peter. Invite someone to go fishing. Or to go get coffee. Or just to go out and spend some time together. In other words, discipleship begins in a normal relationship setting. And this is something that we can all do. God shared His mission with us. He's given each of us a cause to pursue. And He's putting people in our lives with whom we can share ourselves and help them take the next baby steps in their walk with God. Over the last couple of weeks, we've seen three mass shootings in our nation again. This is way beyond out of control. One study of the majority of the shooters in, in 
all of the mass shootings over the last several decades has revealed one, at least one common characteristic in all but one, all but one of these shooters. They grew up without fathers in the home. Think about that for just a moment. We, we have children that come through our church all the time that their fathers are out of the picture. They're from broken homes. We have two orphanages within five miles from us with kids just like these that George Mueller rescued. Simply by taking one of these young boys or girls under our wing, investing our lives in them, spending time in them, shooting hoops with them, I mean, just spending time with them could change that life and could have, if someone had done that with some of these shooters, it could have saved the lives of many, many people in our nation. So we make discipleship too complicated. Everything God's given you is shareable. Everything that God's invested in you, all you have to do is invest that in someone else. Just be a friend and be a mentor or just, just speak truth and life into the lives of those around you. And when you do that, when you change the course of that person's life, you can change the course of a nation or the world. So I want to ask you as we close, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? Is there someone to which God keeps drawing you? Someone that you just feel this need to just impart life to them, to, to befriend them, to pour into their lives? I want to challenge you today to initiate that relationship and help them take whatever next baby steps they need to take. How do we lead someone into a closer relationship with Christ? It's very simple. Time and wisdom. Spend time. Share wisdom. And, God, and, and much of what we need to teach others and what others need to learn from us is going to be caught rather than taught. It's going to be passed down from experiences like this one that Peter had with Jesus where Peter was challenged to take that next step and then God showed up in a way that he didn't expect. Listen, God can use you to do the same for others. And that is how we transform a community. We embrace God's mission. We go first in a cause. And we share ourselves with the one. Let's all stand together.